Hi, and welcome to another podcast episode of The Village ZM. During this month of October, we are talking history, Zambian history to be precise. History that is solely focused on our people and what has led to this common identity that we all have. Because being Zambian is more than just citizenship. Kindly tuck your buds in and discover something new about our people. What's good, everybody? Um, welcome to the Village ZM and uh, welcome to our first episode of Zambia History Month. We've been looking forward to this since January. I am very excited that we get to host you guys. This month, we are fully focused on our people, our culture, and I think the aim that we all have as we are preparing all these episodes with so much great content is that at the end of this month, you should all know a little bit more about what it means to be Zambian, but also we should all know more about what it means to be Zambian because we are also learning at the same time. We are taking this journey together. We are doing continuous learning. We are educating ourselves so that we can bring the best content to you guys. Just a quick shout out to some of our collaborators during Zambia History Month. Shout out to Chanda Bao for the clip you hear at the beginning of uh, this podcast episode. It's from one of his tracks, Amazing Project, One Nation Project. Please find your way of accessing it. Shout out to Rovet Radio. We are going to be airing for the first time on Rovet Radio this, uh, this Saturday at 10 a.m. and we'll be having repeats on Thursdays at 6 p.m. throughout Zambia History Month. You can either catch us there or on any of our podcast platforms. Shout out to all of our collaborators. And um, yeah, I just want you guys to be expectant, ask questions and, you know, be as interactive with us on social media if you want to, you know, help with anything. You know, I just feel free. To, uh, to contact us. And um, yeah, that's that's really all I have to say for now. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Sui now and we'll get started. Thank you so much, Malimba. I appreciate that. Super excited to be, to be finally doing this initiative, Z History Month. We have so many exciting collaborators. Um, first up on that is uh, Zangi. And um, yeah, I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit and then um, we'll introduce the topic and get started. Thank you, Sui, and thanks guys for having me. My name is Zangi and I have a podcast uh, right under my name, which is Zangi Mumba. Um, I mean, obviously, October is really special for me in so many ways. And so I think uh, this collaboration is is really perfect timing for me. Um, I'm an instructor, a creative uh, in form of writing and dance. And yeah, I just love learning new things and I'm super excited to be here. So thanks for having me. All right. Awesome. Um, So the first topic that we have coming up is anthropology of Zambia. And so we want to introduce anthropology and some of the themes that we will be talking about. And then we'll discuss historical topics with an anthropological perspective. 
And so just to sort of introduce it, I, I don't want to sound too technical, but anthropology is basically the study of human beings. So like, you know, our ancestors, our culture, our linguistics, and, and how these things develop over time. And we're going to focus on archaeology and social cultural anthropology. These are the two main themes that we're going to be looking at as we discuss things from like the prehistoric period to early Bantu settlements, the colonial era, and also a bit of contemporary history. So first up is, of course, we have to start where it starts, the prehistoric period. And I'm, I'm going to bring Zangi because she's the historian, she's the expert on this. So I'm going to bring her in to kind of talk us through the prehistoric period. Over to you, Zangi. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, so basically when we're talking about uh, prehistoric, we're talking about a time when things of the past were recorded, you know, before they were actually written and, you know, transmitted thereof. And so basically we're talking about a time that is relating to the early people in terms of uh, origin. And then also you backtrack it to the settlements as well. So basically that's really about it. Yeah, I think there's not so much uh, with that definition, but I think that should work. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for sort of introducing, introducing that to us. What are, what are some, of the, some of the most um, significant things from the prehistoric period in the context of Zambia? Okay, um, what's significant about this time really is how, you know, there were different sites, obviously, and just uh, the people and how the settlements uh, were affected by, you know, the evolution of all these people, obviously backtracking again to like the primate age, you know, so that's really significant because the prehistoric uh, period talks about a time when not so many things were, you know, advanced. So you're talking about times like the early Stone Age, the Middle Stone Age, Late Stone Age, and then going right into the Iron Age period where we see how the earliest, um, you know, settlements in Zambia particularly just came about and spread across our country, Zambia. So basically that's that. In relation to the archaeological sites and also basically the settlements, uh, particularly the Bantu settlements in Zambia. Okay, awesome, awesome. I, I wrote an article on this just for my own personal blog. And yeah. in that article, I, I do mention, you know, the Broken Hill Skull, Natchez mm -hmm. and those are the sites that I tracked in sort of trying to explain the prehistoric period in, in my own yeah. understanding. But there's, you know, there's something that happens prior to that that's quite mm -hmm. significant, and that's the discovery of fire. So can you tell us yeah. a, little, a little bit about, more about that? Okay, yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, when we talk about uh, the discovery of fire, we note that fire was first discovered in the world at Kalambo Falls, which is right here in Zambia. And I don't think so many people know that or give credit to our country for that because it's, it's historically, uh, you know, noted that this is where fire was discovered. And that was uh, the Middle Stone Age. And this really brings in Broken Hillman because this is a time where obviously stones are being used. 
And then broken human has uh, like the brain capacity more advanced than, you know, like previous creatures or earlier creatures uh, to actually use fire uh, to scare off, uh, you know, wild animals and also to cook his food and just keep himself warm. So that's very significant in world history, really. So that's pretty exciting. Um, also, just to note that this was... Um, you know, the Middle Stone Age, and obviously you've already talked about Broken Human, who was discovered in 1921 uh, in the Kawi town of Central Province. So, yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, just a little bit, let's talk a little bit more about Broken yeah. Hill, because we know the skull yeah. was discovered in Zambia, 1921. Yeah. That's, what, 101 years ago. But yeah. where, where, is the, where is the skull now? Well, the skull now is in London, uh, at the London Museum. Um, again, we we have to note because obviously people, you know, have these questions like, okay, why why is it that side? Why is it not here? But we're talking about a time where even just, uh, you know, our methods of dating, like when you talk about radiocarbon dating, we didn't have that machinery, you know, to just keep these you know, equipment, you know, keep these uh, ancient remains and actually preserve them for future uh, compared to our counterparts in the Western world. And so even when this happened, because the skull was discovered, you know, when a white miner from Switzerland, you know, obviously with his people were trying to mine around Kawe. And so already we know that the black people, you know, that are supposed to inhabit this area have no idea how to go about excavating and just using different machinery, um, you know, to, to excavate and things like that. So at the time, and I believe uh, this is still the case today, I don't feel like we have that machinery that can preserve, you know, our Asian remains as best as like the Western world can. So basically... That's why our skull, you know, like the skull of broken human is in London. And obviously with time, we hope that it can be brought back here um, just to make sure that we actually have a place that people can go to and, and just get in touch with this historical, you know, part of our country. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's part of Zambian heritage, right? And it's something mm-hmm. that I think it, it's important for us to be able to preserve. And, and so being able to repatriate this very significant artifact would be important mm-hmm. for us to, to have with us. Now, m- moving on to the Natikufu cave, which is, yeah. which is also a very, you know, interesting place. We, mm-hmm. You know, talking, you know, rock paintings and yeah. different uh, late Stone Age tools. So can you tell yeah. us a little bit about about the Nachikufu cave? Okay. Um, I think it's one of the oldest, uh, you know, late Stone Age sites in Zambia. I love how it's still preserved. You know, obviously with time, some of the paintings have faded. But, you know, it's very important because it also allows us to see that, you know, these periods, uh, you know, prehistoric periods uh, were definitely it because sometimes, you know, when you're talking about these things, it may seem far-fetched until you actually see these sites and see um, that these were reality back then. And so obviously in the late Stone Age, we have uh, the sun people and the rock painters are, you know, not only in our country, but in Southern Africa, you know, at large. And so when it comes to Nechikufu in Pika, it's 
such a beautiful place to be. I love being there, um, you know, and just seeing uh, the historical side, like in in reality. So there's so much about, you know, just the artistic side that these people had and they had, you know, like the brain or the creativity to leave it there because they were painting what was happening, uh, you know, in their society. And, and that's what is depicted in their paintings. And so obviously people who are interested in um, just seeing this evidence should really uh, find time to just visit the Nechikufu cave uh, because they will be amazed, you know, at the fact that these paintings are still there and they do speak to, you know, the times when the Sun people were in, in our country as well and, and just what they did like for leisure and just to depict how they lived their lives. So a very, very important rock painting, which has naturalistic paintings uh, because that just simply means they painted things as they were in nature. So, yeah, just to see, because as time evolves, you know, it's very easy to lose track of, you know, early times and kind of forget to appreciate where we're coming from. So I feel like if people also get to witness and just, you know, feel what was happening there in terms of how they were painting using like animal blood and whatnot, because there was no paint at that time. I think people will really get to appreciate both the past and the present, you know, going forward. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, that's really interesting um, that you mentioned. Um, so one thing that I found from doing some research was that from the excavations, they estimated yeah. that human habitation was there about, you know, 20,000 years ago, which is, which is wild because that's a long time. And they yeah. also found evidence of something that's described as Natikufan industry, which is basically the production of different Stone Age tools and, and stuff yeah. like that, that, you know, the hunter-gathering Southern African peoples yeah. had at the time. And another yeah. thing that really fascinated me was um, some of the paintings there also mm -hmm. have are, are, are paintings of tools. So it, it's kind of yeah. interesting to see because, you know, maybe there was, there was this foresight, there was this desire to have posterity, to preserve things yeah. for future Definitely. generations. Those are basically blueprints of the tools that they use. And that, that to mm -hmm. me is uh, extremely impressive. It's really something worth knowing and worth yeah. looking at from a bigger picture perspective. That is true. Um, you know, when you when you talk about the tools as well, that's that's very important not to miss out because again, you know, we have all these gadgets, all these tools that are modernized and whatnot. But when you look at uh, you know, the preciseness of these people, you know, uh how they sharpen, how they made their bows and arrows effective, you know, using poison from berries or roots. That's something to note because these people, um, you know, still had to survive. And it just goes to show that in whatever age, you know, even as people evolve, you know, and times change, people have to learn skills that are going to enable them to, you know, survive those particular times. And that also goes with the tools that are used. So at that time, obviously, it's a late stone age, but you have to give respect to them because in as much as we see that, uh, you know, they were not so... 
civilized, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, when you look at the things that they made and how they did those things, according to that time, I think that was really, really creative and, and really smart, you know, considering how they used uh, them. Because I feel like even if you put somebody in that space today, it's, it's not so easy for you to just come up with, uh, you know, a tool that's going to be, uh, you know, effective and things like that. And somebody might miss using tools altogether, like for the right reasons. We see stones around and I don't think we ever stop and say, uh, you know, how they sharpen these things and use them for pounding, uh, use them for curving and all those things. Because I think we just take it for granted that these things have always been there and that maybe they're just there to uh, you know, like make our surroundings sometimes uh, very unclean, dirty, you know, or, you know, I mean, you can also use it for art, but there's just that aspect that these people survived on these tools for every day, you know, their everyday livelihood. And, and we just cannot dismiss that altogether. So. Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It's, um, I mean, the way that I see it, just to sort of summarize the prehistoric mm. period, I, I think we find that we have this skull at Broken Hill and that, you know, that proves yeah. that, you know, humans were living here or, or common mm -hmm. they were living yeah. in, in, in this land. And then we have, you know, the archaeological findings at Nachikofuke. Yeah. And that just yeah. helps us understand our early humanity in, in a sense. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a testament to our adaptability and ingenuity, yeah. the creativity that just comes out is, is really impressive. And overall, I think it's, it's important for us to explore, preserve and protect uh, our heritage in these ways. Yeah, that is so true. That is true. All right. So moving on now where we're going to about 4,000 years ago uh, with, mm. with the Bantu migration so we know that, you know, the Bantu migration is, is one of the largest migrations in human history. It, it occurs over a significant period of time. It's not, it's not like a one year thing. It's, 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 it's over, over a few hundred to thousands of years that this happens gradually. Um, and it happens primarily through two routes coming into the Southern African region. So the Bantu originate from West Africa, Cameroon Highlands. And yeah. one of the routes that's taken in the migration is on the east side through the African Great Lakes region and on the mm -hmm. west side through the Congo Basin. Yeah. So in, in, in talking about this, I think we just want to sort of acknowledge, you know, the early settlements. So, so you know, who, who were the earliest people to arrive in, in Zambia? Who inhabited this land before them and um yeah what's what's the what's the cultural significance of of this specific um migration the, these bantu settlements okay um yeah so basically yeah you've already noted uh the routes that were used um but firstly, the earliest Bantu settlers uh, in our country, Zambia, were the Tonga. And I know that so many people also like to add the Ila and the Namwanga, but basically the Tonga were it, you know. And then as time, you know, moved, you know, and time passed, obviously these other groups uh, were joining these people in that particular region. And so... Uh, 
The Tongas moved straight from East Africa and then they settled in the southern part of Zambia. And this is very important also because this dies in or this now also moves us into like the Iron Age period and why, you know, these were the first people who started farming in our country. So that's very significant. And, you know, the migrations obviously had a lot of impact and so many effects uh, on our country, but also in other countries uh, in Africa. So I think that's very, very significant because it really just ties into how, you know, like the different Bantu, uh, the different Bantu people, you know, are so related, we're interlinked. And it's very, I think, I think we should appreciate the fact that we can move to different places in Africa and somehow still connect with one another because we have this common heritage. So that's very, very important. So, yeah. Well, just, uh, well, I mean, I, I don't really like to argue, but I will, I will fiercely <laughs> defend my, my people because I'm, I'm of Namwanga yeah. heritage. And yeah. so, you know, th- there, there is evidence that suggests that, you know, the Ila, the Namwanga and the Tonga arrived mm-hmm. in present day Zambia together. And, you know, there, there are cultural similarities. So, so that makes sense. Now, no. you know, historical record does suggest uh-huh. that the Namwanga arrived around 900 BC. Mm. So, you know, if we come from East Africa together in a group and people yeah. settle in one place, and then others yeah. later proceed. I think it's fair to say that the Nwanga probably settled first because they're, you know, closer to East Africa where they originate. But obviously it's up for debate and subject to speculation. But I just wanted to make sure that I, I, I brought that point out. <laughs> well, that is, that is something. Uh, but then we're talking also about, you know, how did they get into Zambia, obviously? And... I mean, historical records do mention that uh, the Tongas moved straight from East Africa. And, you know, this is something that I like to pose uh, to people. I think I'm going to ask you because I know I'm not really um, questioning the people that recorded this history. But why do you think, you know, most records uh, cite the Tonga as their earliest? I mean, uh, very, very few uh, do mention like uh, the Namwanga and things like that. And even when you start looking at the origin of the kingdoms as well, that's tricky because when you get into how these kingdoms originated in our country, uh, it brings into the fact that these were centralized states, you understand. And now these are the Tonga who were the earliest settlers and they didn't have like uh, a centralized uh, system of government and things like that. But with time, you know, and, uh, you know, mixing with other people and people living, uh, let's say, Katanga, which is Congo and things like that. I think it only makes sense that when it comes from, um, you know, that Luva Lunda migration as well. And we have these other tribes coming into Zambia after, according to history, after 652 A.D. Then we see uh, the development of centralized states. And that happens also as the knowledge of farming, the knowledge of smelting have already started occurring in our country. Because prior to that, again, it's still the Stone Age system. So like my defense is basically, we see a transition. We see the decentralized people, obviously they get the knowledge of farming. uh, And obviously that's like a different topic on its own. But the fact that they're using this and then with time, because now 
with that knowledge um, and time evolving, then there's this iron smelting. So people are becoming more civilized. And as people are becoming more civilized, these are now other people who come in and then they have a centralized system of government different from the Tonga people. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I suppose it, it's. I suppose it's up for debate. I think that yeah. you know, historical historical record tends to tends to vary, especially when we consider the source, because yeah. I, there's you know there's oral tradition which mm-hmm. can then be considered unreliable. But then again, so can written record. So it's it's, it's exactly. really it's a very subjective field that we operate in. Um, mm. So. For now, let's leave it at that. <laughs> um, okay. all right. Tell us a little bit about Ingombe Ilede. We know this is, you know, one of one of the significant heritage sites in in yeah. Zambia. So just tell us a little bit about about Ingombe Ilede. Okay, so um, Ingombe Ilede, uh, again, this is the southern province. Uh, this was a site that was found there in 1960. Yeah, so it really means uh, interpreted as sleeping cow in the southern uh, dialect. And it's very important uh, for our history and just, um, you know, archaeological appreciation because it became a center of trade. You know, and it just shows how, you know, our people were trading with, uh, you know, foreigners in different ways. Obviously, we have uh, the Zambezi and then like the Zambezi River being very instrumental in how this trade, you know, happened, uh, you know, bringing people from the south, which is like Zimbabwe, you know, and just exchanging uh, different things. I think that's very important because, again, this is the Iron Age period. So like the Iron Age period really came with with so many advances, you know, so there's trading that's developing, um, there's um, farming, the knowledge of farming, the civilization and all these things. And so, um, again, it goes to show how people are going to use what they have to get something that they do not have because the local resource that this people had at Ingombe was salt, you know, they had like a major salt supply and this enabled them to, you know, just trade with other people, you know, miners, hunters and, and just different people from the exterior of, of Zambia, really. So much so that they also got things like, you know, Asian products. So, yeah, basically that's that. And also, when you talk about uh, like the social structure, like just bringing in archaeology into this, you know, it describes how, you know, people lived around Lede and just that social stratification, you know, of people, because again, there's evidence of um, different classes of people at Lede, the rich, the poor or the slaves. So obviously we're always going to have that, but basically there's evidence to show that there were different graves, you know, and like the graves that didn't have anything that didn't have like valuable items such as beads, you know, bracelets and all those things uh, that were used in the, in the trade. Those belong to like people who are probably like the low class at that time. So yeah. And then the other grave, obviously, or the second group had, you know, things or materials or valuables. Uh, so obviously those things um, belong to the rich people. So again, it just proves that these first farmers, the Tonga, were the first traders. Again, just differentiating like from the other tribes, you know, that inhabit Zambia right now. And I think this is something, again, you can throw in today because when you look at um, 
how people in southern province, for instance, are very successful at farming. It goes on to show that the early settlement really mattered because the soil there was different. You know, it's it's fertile soil and no supplies and things like that. So very important in our heritage. All right. That's, uh, that's quite interesting. That's quite interesting. I guess once we sort of move past this this period, we sort of now go yeah. into the point where we sort of see Zambia as we see it today become yeah. more inhabited. Because, you know, we, okay, we have people settled in the south. We have people mm-hmm. settled in the northeast. Yeah. But there's so much of basically, yeah, uninhabited land. So how does this yeah. second wave of, of Bantu migration coming through the Congo Basin um, impact Zambia today? Um, well, firstly, I think uh, just, you know, when people are moving, there are always effects, obviously, and different reasons made these people move from, you know, one area and just settle in another area. So I feel like the Bantu migrations, firstly, they allow that common heritage that at the end of the day, we're one as black people, you know, regardless of where we settle. But also uh, just pointing out the fact that different societies will have uh, to an extent different, uh, you know, leadership uh, roles or just administration. And this just uh, goes on to like to point to where like different groups settled uh, around our country. Uh, but basically, I think just the fact that, you know, we came one place, you know, um, you know, and then just started moving because of these different reasons, you know, of our population and whatnot. I think that's very, very significant because if we can remember that no matter what tribe we are in this country, you know, we just have this common heritage, uh, which is also not just ours, but, you know, for a number, a majority of the black people in Africa, I think that's something to really appreciate and hold on to, you know, as we navigate the, the change in times, obviously. I hope I've answered your question somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So in my, in my article, I, I sort of mentioned, I mentioned, you know, Zambia's um, Congolese ancestry and, and the impact of the Luvalunda uh, kingdom, because, you know, this, this is sort of late 15th century in, mm-hmm. in, 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 in what's present day DRC. And that's where, that's where yeah. it all begins. And yeah. but then how does, you know, can you, can you tell us, tell, tell our audience how, how this sort of moves into Zambia from, you know, from the Congo? Okay. So, um, so we have West Africa, obviously that's the first, it's Cameroon. And then, you know, there's that, shift and then we get to Katanga where we have actually the Luvalunda, you know, and so like the route that was used uh, was a southern route, like from Cameroon into Katanga. And your next question is how do these people, you know, how does that influence them coming into Zambia? Is that it? Yes. Um, yeah, again, it's, it's really about what made them migrate, you know, so they're in one area, they are, you know, two empires, obviously. And then, you know, so many things come up, so many reasons for the migration. Um, and I feel like it's just a matter of, uh, you know, commonality in terms of how they spread into, into Zambia. 
um, from there, like them determining where to settle was, was really based on which people they wanted to follow, you know? So if, if I'm leading you and I decide, okay, let's go to this area and I take people with me and then we start like, uh, like a society or we settle there and just, you know, start our kingdom over there. Um, I think that was it, but the really big thing is just the fact that these people didn't just move haphazardly or they didn't just move because they wanted to, but those other reasons, uh, you know, like obviously a lot of population, uh, increase. So obviously like those overpopulation, you know, in the same area, I think these are the reasons that made people start migrating into Zambia and yeah, just occupy it. So. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting to note. Thank you for that. Um, just a quick, um, yeah, just a quick piece of information on, on the origin story of, of, you know, mm-hmm. the Luba Luna, um, kingdom. Cause we hear about this yeah. a lot and it's kind yeah. of interesting how this ties into our next, um, you know, our next segment where we talk a little bit more about tribal identity and, and, and how, mm-hmm. you know, how it's evolved significantly yeah. since the first settlement. So you know, you have a Luba, you know, nobleman who, who was basically the Mwatayambo. That, that was the title that they held, who then meets yeah. this Munda princess. And then, yeah. you know, they get married. Mm-hmm. And, and this sort of leads to, it's, 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 it's one, of the, one of the key events that then lead to further expansion into southwestern and southeastern, um, so, sorry, in the southwestern and southeastern directions towards Zambia. Considering this, right, a lot, we, we know that a lot of this land, a lot of this influence is gained through conquest from, from this yeah. empire and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about this sort of, um, this period and how influence was extended, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see how similar it is to the way people extend their influence in, 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 in modern times. Like, okay, you know, two, two nobles, two wealthy families come together yeah. and, and through, you know, through this, this, this new marriage, there's now yeah. this next, you know, this next phase, this next wave, uh-huh. this next generation of, of people um, expanding their influence. So it's just interesting to see how, you know, like, this this happens about you know five hundred six hundred years ago, and it yeah. still happens today. And that's a very interesting thing that you know it speaks to I think just human nature in general. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and also, I think noteworthy is the fact that uh, I think back then you also talk about how I feel like it was very significant if a man, for instance, was a warrior. I mean, of course, uh, like when it comes to other kingdoms, we you can also throw in the fact that women were very instrumental as well in terms of, uh, you know, just the leadership of how these kingdoms, you know, were and, and how they expanded. But really like, even when you talk about the story of Mwatayamvu and, and how, you know, this, this, this like, um, union happened, the guy who actually became Mwatayamvu, you know, like was a son of a hunter because this hunter 
it's, it's not really noted that he was uh, of noble birth, you understand, but the fact mm-hmm. that he was a warrior, you know, lose this princess. And um, I feel like at that time, people really had it, uh, you know, in mind to say, we need somebody who is able to protect us. And even as you go forward, you see that, uh, you know, these skills, like a military skill, was very important because you talk about the Bemba Kingdom and how that kingdom started as well was dependent on a leader showing, uh, you know, those skills in terms of being able to protect uh, the people that he's leading. And so, yeah, this story is very, very important. And uh, like even even today, you know, um, I think there are strategic moves, you know, that people make, you know, uh, when they're just joining somebody or like just trying to work with somebody. There are all those things that I think you need to uh, factor in before you actually get into it. You, you really have to be smart to do that. So that's very important. And again, when you talk about uh, tribal identity, I feel like that's also another reason you cannot, you know, as a Zambian, restrict yourself to just your tribe. Like even if your parents, for instance, are, you know, both from the same tribe, I don't feel like it's it's it should be something to say, oh, yeah, so now I can't really, you know, mix with these or I have all these uh, bias opinions uh, over others because things can really change, you know. Look at what happened here. This is Luva, you know, and then Lunda. And then he introduces, like, um, the actual Luva systems, you know, in the Lunda kingdom. So there's bound to be, you know, that change, that um mix of different ways of doing things uh regardless of of where one really hails from so that's something i think to marvel at you know going forward and and even just looking back anyway oh yeah definitely definitely um so i guess just to sort of tie tie these points together in my article i I talk about tribal fluidity and I sort of, you know, expand on this concept. And one of the things that we can sort of take from this is that we learn that tribal fluidity can happen through migration and intermarriages, depending on whether, yeah. you know, a gr- depending on whether an ethnic groups uh, has a matrilineal or patrilineal system. But th- the point is, you know, fluidity of tribal identity is, is obvious. Now, to mm-hmm. sort of put this in, in the context of, of, of Zambian anthropology, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about, you know, the Maravi Confederacy? Okay. Well, um, I think you had a very, very good write-up on Maravi Confederacy uh, in terms of, you know, how Zambia was thrown into, you know, justice confederacy with other other countries. And I think I don't mind also listening to your interpretation of that before I actually mention one or two things about that <laughs> okay okay not not a problem not a problem so well basically the Maravi confederacy is it's a group of ethnic groups it starts in um modern day malawi with with uh, mm-hmm. with a few clans the piri clan the banda clan and and yes. a few others um in in there and it it expands its influence and so the, the name is, is is a general name used well that mm-hmm. was used for you know this group that settled in Malawi, Zambia, Mozambique, and Eastern Zimbabwe as well. And and some of the yeah. you know some of the key um, uh, some of the tribes in Zambia that have roots in this confederacy are the Chewa and the Tumbuka, of course. Yeah. 
Um, so the the way that I think this is significant is, you know, we know the, these these original clans are of Luva extraction, and this is kind mm-hmm. of how you get the Eastern tribes and, uh, and tribes of Bemba extraction teasing each other about being tribal cousins. It's this common yeah. Luva connection that they share, yeah. and and so. Um, the, I think the significance of this is just how, you know, these clans sort of evolve and, and with settling in new areas, interacting with new people, it, it sort of creates this rapport that's built over time and, and how things uh, can very, you know, easily shift. You know, one moment you're a part of this clan, the next moment you're a part of this clan through marriage, most commonly migration as well. As I mentioned earlier, and and yeah. this, you know, this is something that happens even in the present. So it's a very interesting thing to think of, and and, and that's why I really always try to encourage um, Zambians to to look at tribal identity as, as a fluid construct. It's not something that you're like hardline, like no, I'm I'm, I'm this tribe and this tribe only. It it changes yeah. significantly over over time, and so. Um, it's something to sort of understand and not use as a as a rigid label. And I think for now, I'll say that I, I will say more about this later. But for now, I think that's that's where that's where I can end, end my perspective. Yeah, that's you know that's very interesting because you know when you when you look at the um, you know other records of their origin, they also bring in the fact that these people you know were thought to be like of Congo origin because now you're throwing like we have the Bemba, we have the Chewa, we have the Nyanja, and these are people like you know when you look at our country right now, the locations are you know like different parts of Zambia, obviously, you know, and then how these were ruled by like a Kalonga again, which is like Chewa origin. So really what you said, um, just the fact that we are really interconnected, you know, because there was a time where it was just like, you know, we are one, of course, you know, there are all these things like you're Chewa, you're whatnot, but we are one. And also bringing in uh, like the different countries that were involved in, in the Confederacy as well is another thing to appreciate uh, because we go to different places, you know, we meet different people, uh, you know, as Africans. And of course, like the names of these countries are different. But I think if everybody had some, you know, basic, uh, you know, knowledge of this history that, you know, there was even a confederacy, which which uh, brought in Malawi, Zambia, um, like Mozambique, like as one, like, you know what I'm saying? There is no way you can say, oh, these people are really like so distinct from us. But like we have that commonality because at one point we were just identified as that, as a Moravian confederacy. And, and that's really remarkable, obviously. How did this empire then then decline? Because, I mean, we don't quite we, we, we know, you know, of the country Malawi, but we don't quite hear of, you know, the Moravian confederacy. So how, how did how did the empire as it were, decline. You know, tell us a little bit about that. Um, I think like everything else that declines, uh, this one, you know, leaders played a role because obviously you have different countries, you know, so now the clan leaders are, are managing, are, are running this confederacy. And now you throw in the fact that there's a long distance trade with the Portuguese, the Arabs, in different ways, as ivory, obviously, they're slaves, 
you know, and and so with all this, it meant that uh, the different leaders wanted to be, you know, independent. Uh, so there was a lot of autonomy at the end of the day. And I feel like um, the person or the Kalonga that was that figure of authority was undermined because people started having these direct links, uh, you know, with the Portuguese. And, and at the end of the day, obviously, if, if you're not answering to one particular person and respecting that person as your leader, then obviously things are bound to, you know, fall away. And, and this is how it declined, like in the in the 18th century, which was, you know, quite late, uh, you know, for a confederacy that's not really talked about you know it it was there for for quite a while you know like i think from the 14th or 15th and then just to end like in the 18th century that was a long time but basically yeah i think the fact that it grew in size obviously and the different clan leaders now had that autonomy you know to do things on their own yeah that just led to to the decline of this confederacy yeah, that's you know that's very interesting to to know. Um, look, I, I recognize that there's a lot more depth in in you yeah. know explaining the origin of of Awantu in Zambia. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the key takeaway from this is just that we have this universal human experience. We have this we have this common ancestry, and and so you know regardless of our origins and our circumstances, it's it's important for us to to treat each other. With with a certain respect and 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 and, mm. and that's something you know bringing us away from the his, history back into the present to to to, to bear in mind because yeah. you know as, as much as we might have our disagreements on how things should be done we we need to find a way to you know to not um to not let the conflict evolve into into something evil yeah that's true i totally agree i totally agree to that all right so that's all for this segment we will be moving on to part two next week talking about you know the colonial era and and then moving into the contemporary history of zambia but for now we're gonna end it here and of course we want to engage with our audience so please reach out to us on our social media use hashtag the village zm go check out my blog that's going to be linked um to this episode and interact with us this is Z History Month, brought to you by the Village ZM, and 